You don't have to be a machine learning engineer to help make the future a smarter place. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, we talk a lot about how hyper-competitive of a landscape ETFs are. You know, it's dominated by behemoths. And those are the issuers and some of the, the older ETFs who have been around a long time, collected a lot of assets. This episode, we're going to spend more time talking about maybe some indie rock, right? <laughs> so let's talk about what you call rising stars. Right. So when you think about the ETF landscape, there's 2,100 products. 42% of them have less than $50 million. So I would consider that oblivion. Right. So we're talking most ETFs live in oblivion, literally. So it's tough to get out of there. Including <laughs> a lot of the fancy tickers that we talk about. Absolutely. Now, there's a firm middle class, uh, which has about 42% of the products. Although there's lower middle class and upper middle class, there's different degrees of, course of it. There are. So between 100 million and a billion, to me, is the sort of middle class. Uh-huh. And then beyond a billion is sort of you're home free, you're yeah. now rich, you're upper, upper uh, class, that's 17% of the product. Good so, suburbs. That's right. So 42% oblivion, 42% are middle class, 17% are upper class. Mm-hmm. So to go from oblivion to middle class is hard enough, but then to like go all the way into the upper class, it's, t- it's like uh, swimming upstream. You're a rising star. Yep. You know, I think this is actually happens to be a pretty decent week to bring in a little music metaphor because, you know, Spotify is in the background having just had its sort of a non-IPO IPO, right? And you actually just watched a documentary that you think kind of helps frame all of this as well. Yeah, you know, I love my music uh, metaphors. And this one's really good. This is about a radio station. It's on Showtime. I think the name of the documentary is called Dare to be Different, New Wave. And it was basically WLIR in Long Island changed formats in 1982 from classic rock, which is all anybody was playing, right? Stairway to heaven like all day, every day. And in 82, they switched formats completely to New Wave. So they were, you know, they were playing stuff like U2, Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, uh, Beastie Boys. This was all... What became nor- the 80s, right? Yeah, that was the mainstream eventually. And to me, that format change is essentially consistent with what e- ETFs, to me, are a format change, right? They are completely new wave. And that, this radio station had something interesting called the Screamer of the Week. And what that was, they play like a few songs uh, that they just got in that were new. And the, and the people would call in and vote for their favorite one, and whichever one won, they played in heavy rotation the next week. So if you look at a list of their Screamers of the Week, this is like early 80s. They've got stuff on here, People Are People by Depeche Mode, Pretty Persuasion by R.E.M., New Year's Day by U2. So they had a lot of songs that eventually became classics, but they also had some duds in there, songs that you never heard of, like Only You by The Flying Pickets, Connecticut by Hillary. So the Screamer of the Week wasn't necessarily a definite classic, but it was them trying to sort of identify 
as early as possible a, a song that a would be a breakthrough. Exactly. And that's what I try to do with my Rising Stars research right. when I do it on occasion. So back to the indie rock thing. Sort of these are the indie rockers. Maybe they make it, maybe they don't. This week on Trillions, the rising stars of the ETF world. We also have a guest, Carolina Wilson, who's a reporter with Bloomberg News. She also has a daily column called ETF Watch. So she's almost the perfect person to join us and talk about some of the ones to watch right now. Carolina, welcome to the show. You weren't born in the 80s. I was not. When were you born? In the year 1991. That fascinates me, first of all. She doesn't know anything about this radio station that you just talked about. Yeah, and like to you, you too is probably this sort of like old man classic rock band, right? Right, like my dad's rock band. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but in 82, I'm telling you, they were new wave. And I, there is an equivalent to ETFs. A lot of millennials, that's all they know is ETFs. They don't even know mutual funds anymore. And yeah. so there's definitely a consistency there. But yeah, what is new wave and current today is, <laughs> is going to seem like old fogey tomorrow. Do you remember the cassette? Oh, the the act! I, I was like, oh my god, they're going to start asking me about bands now that I don't know of. Yes, I know what a cassette is. Did yes, you use I them? I did. Okay, I did. Do you? How do you listen to music now? Spotify. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. You? T- how about you, Eric? Uh, I listen to it through on Sirius in my car, and yeah. then I still use iTunes. Mm, old but, school. Yeah, I like to own it. My dad does too. You're old. <laughs> I am. I'm okay with the it. world's changing, Eric. <laughs> uh, so, so Carolina, um, we're gonna have Eric present his rising star system, and then we're going to critique it a little bit. But let's look backwards, right, Eric? So you use this, and you, you look backwards at you know 10 years ago to see if you could have identified ones from history that did break through. What, what tickers and ETFs popped? So in June 2016, that's about, what, 18 months ago, I looked at the fastest growing ETFs. Here's how we do it. We basically look for a minimum asset level. In the case in June, I looked at 100 million minimum, right? You have to have something going on to start. If yeah, you, it's, it's sticky already. Yeah. If you looked at an ETF that goes from 1 million to 10, that's a 1,000% growth rate, but that doesn't really- Still small. You're right. So we look at a, a decent base of 100 million back then, and we saw which ones doubled assets, A, so they grew by 100% and broke through the billion dollar mark. Mm. Um, so there were five uh, uh, 18 months ago that, that fit that threshold. Um, they, they were a mixed bag. If you want to, uh, where are they now? And we we'll look to, to today. There was some oh, that were- I love were, where are they now. Yeah. It's, it's, That's a whole it's, other It's the whole music thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. So one of them was the iShares Edge MSCI USA Momentum ETF, ticker MTUM. At the time, it had broken through to $1.3 billion, So it made my list. Today, it has $7.4 billion. It returned 42% in the 18 months since I identified it. Smash hit. Th- this was like my, you know, identifying that band before they break. And all the do- all the radio does now is play it. That's right. So It's on every Spotify list Carolina can And Carolina, can you, play of. she's probably written about MTUM because the flows are always making her radar. Yeah, absolutely. But I feel like with these we have... Don't we have the same issue we have with other single factor funds where they're cyclical, right? So we see money pouring into them. But I think on on Monday, MTUM fell 3.2%. The S&P fell 2.2%. We have analysts saying that the momentum trade is over. Yes, this has grown a lot. But because it's such a huge tech trade, won't we see investors yank money from this? Right. So the momentum ETF, for those who don't know, is basically it's following the heat. It's looking for stocks that are doing well. And it just sort of tries to copy what's done well. And then it also has a screen for volatility, so it's not too volatile. But long story short, it's performance chasing. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's heavy tech. 
and it's it's going to get hurt. But if tech starts to go down, it's going to try to like sell the tech and latch on to what's doing well. Maybe it's utilities. Who knows? Momentum. Yeah, that's all it does. So it could have a rebound. But even if it does struggle, a lot of times when assets enter an ETF and it gets to seven eight billion. Even if it has a rough year, it's not going to lose all the assets. It might lose two, three billion, but it's it's it is now a legit, and it's the biggest momentum ETF. So it is the go-to for the momentum trade. So this one popped totally. Give me something that didn't. One that was a dud basically was FXU, which is the First Trust Utilities Alphadex. Um, this is utility stocks, but it has an overlay of a growth value screens. Mm-hmm. The reason it made my list, and I learned from this, is that it was used in a fund of funds. And once that fund of funds kicked it out, it lost it. It's almost like it had like one gigantic investor. Mm-hmm. And so it's shrunk to $200 million from having $1.7 billion. So it's And it's only so it up 6% and then. then regressed. Absolutely. And there's a couple in the middle. Like Jeffrey Gunlock, the famous bond manager, has an ETF TOTL, the double line total return. That one is up to $3.4 billion. That's a billion more than when we identified it. It had a 3% return. Pretty good. And then another one that was a pretty big hit was Noble. This is the ProShares S&P 500 dividend aristocrats. It looks for companies that have increased That's their dividends name. for 25 <laughs> straight years. Whoa. It is a rigid screen. How is Noble done? N-O-B-L. How is that done? Pretty well. It was up 20% in 18 months since we looked at it. It's now $3.4 billion. That's about double from when we identified it. So to me, Noble was a, a, a legit hit uh, right. from this list. Even with its really strict requirements. Yeah, and Noble is like, look, everyone loves dividend-paying stocks, even if you're not going there for yield, because this thing doesn't yield a lot, because when you're that rigid, Mm -hmm. the stocks are going to be low-yielding, but people just love dividend-paying stocks. Yeah, it's like getting an envelope of cash from your grandmother. And it's also sturdy, sturdy companies. So Noble was probably very much in a lot of like uh, retirement accounts, people who are conservative, um, and it it spawned a few copycats. So you you mentioned your class system earlier, Eric, because there's different kind of thresholds that ETFs can kind of climb through, right? So when you think about what these ones that you identified 18 months ago have done, where, where how far did they get and how far could they go still? So all of them over a billion. So I identified them when they were sort of middle class into the elite one billion. So they cracked the top. They, yeah. They're, they're like, they're rich, basically. Okay. Uh, they, 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 Except for FXU, which actually backslid. Right. But the other ones are now firmly in this sort of elite category. All right. So we looked backward, Eric. You've also refined the system because of that. So let's talk about right now some current screamers that you've identified. Yeah. I feel like the when I did it in the past, I got some more brand name ones like, you know, Jeffrey Gunlock and yeah. Spider and iShares. So I tweaked it a little bit to try to get more indie mm-hmm. uh, ETFs in there, a little more theme ETFs because- when you use a hundred million base, you tend to screen out some of those. So I went to a thirty million dollar base, yep. and I just looked at which ones had the biggest percentage jump in assets. But I looked at flows. So in other words, who had the biggest organic growth of the thirty million dollar base, mm-hmm. sorted by the percentage growth over and a have year. a top five over, over a, a year. year. So the past twelve months. Okay, and what'd you find? So we'll start with the top, the one that just to me was on top by a mile was BOTS, the Global X Robotics and Artificial Intelligence ETF. It had $30 million a year ago. It's taken in $2.3 billion since then. That's a 7,800% increase of organic growth in one ETF. I don't. That's literally going from oblivion to like firmly in the elites in one year. Wow. I, it's that You'd never see that. What does it do? So BOTS basically tracks companies that are 
designing uh, machines and robotics, things for the military, the household. It's basically tech and industrials, and its companies really focused on robotics and artificial intelligence. Carolina, had you known about this one? Had this been on your list? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's it's hard to talk about bots without mentioning it's like arch enemy robo. Uh, Ooh, arch enemy. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Okay. Way to frame it. Bots launched in September 2016. Robo also following this robotics and automation theme launched in October 2013. But since bots launched, it's basically outperformed Robo. You know, we're talking about bots being up about 61% since it launched in September 2016 versus Robo's 53% gain in that same time frame. Um it's funny because I think less diversification has paid off here. Bots holds 30 companies. Robo, I think, is closer to what was it, 90 holdings. But then you have a significant concentration risk, right? And maybe this is where one of the cons, uh, one of those con points come in for bots. Yeah, bots is market cap weighted. As you know, that that makes you have more large cap exposure mm-hmm. typically. Robo is equal weighted in two tiers and... Uh, as uh, Carolina said, it's a lot more diversified. Bots had a few large caps that took off, so it outperformed Robo. Right. And you keep in mind, to go from oblivion to the elite, it's usually always going to be some kind of a what I call a shiny object moment where the performance is so outrageous, people cannot ignore it. They go after it like a shiny object in a little child, right? right. And so this thing was up uh, uh, 60% at one point over the past year. It's come down a bit in the recent sell-off, but... It crushed Robo. It's like Terminator 2. This was like Robert Patrick, you know, in the middle of the movie, just like... That's a shiny object for you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well done, man. I like that. See? You're welcome. There we go. We're we're cooking with... And the fee, right? So Robo charges 95 basis points. Uh, Bots is at 68. So Bots is significantly cheaper. The other thing Bots has, and this is rare for a Me Too product, right? Robo existed. Bot said, hey, I like that. Let me come out with one. This is Global X. It's more liquid now. It's about double mm-hmm. the trading volume. So I'm sure Robo is not thrilled about bots coming into play, but this is how brutal the ETF landscape is. You can come out with a product that's very similar and just um, you know make uh, eat into that other yeah, person's is, market this share. This is Pacific Rim, man. Every robot gets to fight another robot. <laughs> Battle of the robots. Uh, okay, so this is a shiny object. But how are people going to use it in their portfolio? When it comes to theme ETFs, I highly recommend looking at two things. The overlap with big indexes, like how much original exposure you're getting. So BOTS only has about 1% overlap with the S&P 500 and the MSCI world. So it's definitely capturing a lot of uh, unique companies. Now, granted, it's got Japan companies and small caps and whatnot, but it's pretty original. So I would say that given it that it does have little overlap, which we call high active share, it should be used like hot sauce. You know, it should be something on the edge of a portfolio that you just believe in, but you're going to, you know, it's got, it's more volatile than those indexes, so it could underperform by more than the index. So essentially, uh, it's something to be used in small proportions, likely, um, and something that you have to maybe really believe in the story, because you're probably going to experience some pretty nasty sell-offs here and there. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. 
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Okay, next rising star. The next one is the ARK Web X.0 ETF, another futuristic sounding ETF with the ticker ARKW. It had $21 million a year ago. It's taken in $403 million since then. That's an 1,800% increase. And this one just won, won an award, right? No. So the oh, one that won an well. award was ARKK, a sister ETF mm. called the ARK Innovation. So this is a fun family uh, that is managed by a woman named Kathy Wood. And they are all active and all really, a lot of the products are looking at like futuristic themes like innovation, the human genome, 3D printing, yeah. industrial innovation. So they try to see themselves as a the closest thing to a venture capitalist right. that is an active manager. That's interesting, right? And, and that's a place that active can actually play. Right. So ARK, ARKW, this, this ETF is up 155% since launching. 72% in the past year, and even 6% year to date. It's been a rough year for internet type stocks, but it's still outperforming and it's been rewarded. If you can not just beat the S&P by a couple percentage points, but if you can crush it into oblivion, stomp on it and do a touchdown dance on its head, you will get assets. And that is the name of the game these days. I don't. It's either all the money's going to cheap beta or these shiny objects that just basically run circles around the market. So, Carolina, tell me about what this one does. Well, so Eric mentioned futuristic themes. It's definitely capitalizing on that. But I think an, another way to say that is that it's it's using these giant buzzwords right now, right? So Internet of Things, cloud computing, digital currencies. I think ARCW was one of the first U.S. ETFs to have indirect exposure to Bitcoin because it held, I think its largest holding at one point was GBTC, which was this um, private vehicle, but this Bitcoin trust. And ARK, its sister fund that you had mentioned earlier, also held it. But I think that it's using some of those things to its advantage, right? Yeah. And I think if you look at the holdings, let's just look at some of the stocks in here. Amazon, Tesla, Twitter. It's, it's basically like a mini look, fang fund. Yeah. It's, it, it, there's, mm, but it's still not that much overlap right. with the S&P. It's got only 15% overlap with that or the tech ETF. And it's interesting. We had Kathy Wood on this uh, the ETF TV show I do. And we asked her about, hey, aren't these high octane stocks just going to like just crash and the performance will suffer? She said something that I, you know, was very noteworthy, which is she considers this portfolio deep value. She considers Amazon deep value. <laughs> wow. She just says you have to think about it 10, 20 years down the road. And mm. she just Amazon in particular, she's very bullish on that stock more than the other Fang stocks and thinks that that company is just um, you know, going to really change the game in multiple t- ways. So I think she, you know, you make a strong s- a sales case here, but you have to have the performance to back it up. And, and the, for now she does. And the con uh, it's look the PE ratio is so high it's negative. <laughs> it's like okay. it's like gone to kill screen because it's got companies with negative earnings in it. Uh-huh. So it's it's just look this is very volatile high high p- price to earnings ratio. You're paying a lot for the stocks basically, and it's uh, costly at 75 basis points. Okay, so the next rising star 
I like I like this one because it's somewhat expected, right? And it looks outside the U.S. because it's the emerging market internet. Yes, EMQQ went from thirty-four million dollars this time last year, and it's taken in four hundred and four million, and that's a one thousand one hundred percent increase in organic flows. I have a great story here. So I interviewed um, in May 2017, almost a year ago, Kevin Carter. He's the founder of the fund. Here in the Bloomberg office, we sat in one of these red booths, uh, mostly because his fund was up like a whopping 32%. It was tiny. I had to like beg my editors to let me write about this tiny, tiny $48 million fund. And the headline that came out of that story was Chinese tech investments spur huge returns for pint-sized fund. And I spoke to him maybe five or six months later, I think he called me and he was like, it had over 400 million in assets. And he was like, remember when you called my ETF a pint-sized fund? <laughs> yeah, th- listen, these issuers get- And you're like, no, shape. it's my editor, not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You forget, like, especially this one, this is just one guy and an idea. Yep. So he's out there. And so he really gets and, takes the media coverage seriously. And that, that one idea that he had, though, was he wanted more China exposure because he looked at emerging market ETFs and realized that he couldn't get as much China as he wanted. And so EMQQ became the vehicle to do that, right? It's funny because Eric, he coined this perfectly. He said that this fund had a triple dose of China. Uh, I think it holds over 60% of its geographic allocation to to Chinese companies. You compare that to EEM, the colossal iShares Emerging Markets Fund, that has like 26%. So that's where that triple dose comes in. But yeah, it's a super targeted Chinese internet uh, play and hugely popular. And yes, it's 61% China, but let's just take a bigger, broader step back. The emerging markets ETFs like EEM and VWO that people use, they only have about 7, 8, maybe 10% tech. The S&P is like, what, 25% tech? So you could argue that the big emerging markets in, in indices are underweight tech. This is a case of an ETF that just saw, and this is how a lot of ETF innovation happens. It sees a flaw in one of the big guys, and it basically comes out and tries to fill that gap. And this, I think, was the complaint of, hey, my emerging markets ETF isn't really capturing this like juggernaut tech movement in the emerging markets. And so this one comes out and fills a void. Going back to the music analogy, Eric, at one point you said this is a mashup. It's combining two hugely popular trends into one fund. Okay, so we got one more current rising star that you've identified. What is that? The Crane Shares Bolsera MSCI China A Share ETF KBA. Went from 35 million this time last year, and it's taken 280 million since then. And that's a lot for a single country, and it's just part of a single country. It's just the A shares of China. But what this one does that a lot of people like, its, it's performance has only been 4%. So unlike the other ones, which have had that shiny object moment, this one has something really interesting, which is the China A share market's largely been out of out of sight because it's mm. only available to mainly investors. China's right. opening up their markets. Right. And so now big indexes like the MSCI Emerging Markets are going to accept China A shares yeah, over the next five soon. or 10 years. Right. Yeah. This ETF holds all the stocks that will ultimately make it into the MSCI Emerging wow. Markets. So a lot of people buy it mm-hmm. thinking, wow, there is $2 trillion benchmark to the Emerging Markets Index. If I hold this, a lot of these all that money is going to have to buy A shares just to keep up with the index. Therefore, there'll be bid orders coming in for the next five years. I'll just sit tight here for five or 10 years and hold the stocks that they're going to need later. Seems like a crystal ball. Look, there's no, there's no sure thing or free lunch, but that is why the money is going to something that's only up 4% this year. They're, they're planting their stake in the ground and hoping that the money sort of comes over because those stocks are going to be um, owned more and more by foreign investors soon. 
okay, so we've talked about some hits that have had breakthrough moments, some ones that are on the radio right now. Let's go ahead and like look forward, program Carolina's Spotify playlist for, for a year from now. What are the future screamers? One is PAVE, the Global X Infrastructure ETF. If uh, if the infrastructure plans get done at some point, we're talking a couple trillion dollars in expenditures, this ETF is all U.S. companies. And we know Trump likes to hire U.S. It's also specifically shaved out utilities to a degree where it doesn't have as much rate risk, right? Because those are sensitive to interest rates. So if rates rise and infrastructure spending happens, this one's kind of built for that for that long haul. So I could see this one you know, sort of getting some traction if the infrastructure plan goes through. Pave. Okay, that's good. Carolina, what's your top pick? I like K-Web. I mean, the, this is actually another crane shares fund, so similar to the, the one that we had just talked about, but it's very similar in exposure to EMQQ, except that I think it's an even more pure play China internet uh, fund. It has almost 97% of its exposure to China. 72% to internet companies. It's cheaper also than EMQQ is at 72 basis points versus EMQQ's 86 basis points. So I just think it's a more targeted pure play China internet exposure fund if that's what you're looking for. Laying down the tracks on the Spotify playlist, <laughs> Pave, KWeb. Eric, what's track three on your future screamer playlist? Okay, the Granite Shares has two e- commodity ETFs, BAR which is just like GLD, it's, it's gold, but it charges 20 basis points. So it's like a, it, it's basically they vanguarded the commodity space and they came out with an ETF that's half the cost of GLD. And then the other one is also commodity, COMB, which is a sort of all commodities in one giant basket. And that only charges 25 basis points. Here's why I think these could hit. Commodities at some point are going to outperform the other asset classes. It mm-hmm. could be this year. It's looking right. like it could be. And if and when that happens and the money, you know, comes over and buys up commodities because stocks and bonds aren't doing well, these are going to be in good positions. Because, because they're cheap. They're, yes. So they came in last year when no one wanted commodities and they vanguarded the category. Hmm. Currently, they came in two to three times cheaper than anyone else. ETF Securities also has a couple cheap. But if and when there's this flood of money, I see the advisor crowd choosing the cheaper ones because they love nothing more than the cheapest product. So I look out for granite shares to maybe make some headway into the commodity category. Okay. Commodities on this playlist. Carolina, what's your next track? I like a fund, the ticker's JETS, U.S. Global JETS ETF. So it holds U.S. and international passenger airlines, aircraft manufacturers, airports, terminal services companies. It launched in April 2015, so a few years ago, and it just crossed $100 million dollar asset line there. And I think it's it's interesting because it, it, it is almost like this little smart beta play on a specific industry. Uh, it's outperformed the broader airline index by almost 8%. That's really boosted by the funds holding of Boeing, which is interesting to this week in light of uh, the China tariffs news. It's interesting. You know, Jets, we talk about, you know, we had that ticker competition. Jets is a great ticker, Jets. right? Jets, Jets could have performed. The ETF that preceded it that lived and died and is currently in the graveyard, FAA, mm. was the airline ETF. This is a rare case where an ETF comes out tracking airlines. It fails. But then someone else says, actually, we can make this work. And they launch one despite the failure of the first one. Well, Jets is a way better ticker than a government agency, too. Carolina, you got bounced in the first round for picking TAN in our Ticker Madness episode. Do you, in hindsight, wish you would have picked Jets? No. 
I stand by my my tan designation. Mm-hmm. All right. Eric, next track on your Rising Star playlist. MJX, the Alternative Harvest ETF, which Alternative Harvest is like code word for pot. It's kind of what... It's like, it's like Read what, marijuana. Yeah, that's what you and your buddies called it in college when you were trying to you know, no, keep we just it on the it down weed. low. Okay. <laughs> anyway, MJX, the reason I think it's already got $400 million, but this is just a hot area that could just explode. This could create shiny objects if and when it's get legalized. It's more of a slow burn. Well, now it is. Jeff Sessions is is on, on this, but you know, over time, if if pot ultimately just gets legalized in all these places, especially recreationally, I mean, I don't really see how money doesn't come into this and it become a big deal. Right now, it's struggled with performance, but four hundred million out of the gate isn't bad. It's going to track pot stocks, and this is where you want an ETF. Uh, and I've had people ask me for a pot ETF for a while because no one wants to pick a pot stock because it could go, you know, right. the blow up potential is high. Mm-hmm. So you have a diversified basket of pot stocks. They're all sort of young up and comers trying to make it in this new industry. And this one captures it. And I could see this being um, big in the future if if and when pot does ultimately become legal. So maybe that's a, a long term play. Yeah. Carolina, your last track. What do, you, what do you put when you back when we made cassettes? We would try and end that cassette with a really great song. So I'm going to give you a ticker that I would have swapped my ticker. Oh, out for. good setup. Good setup. All and right. That's lit, which mm. is the Global X Lithium and Battery Technology ETF. It's a bit older. It launched in 2010, but it's nearing a billion dollars in assets. Um, and I don't know. I mean, like we see global lithium miners and battery producers, their their stocks soaring, obviously, there's rising demand for lithium because of electric vehicle makers like Tesla. I think it's going to continue to be a good go-to ETF. I mean, it has that kind of commodity angle. It has that futuristic Tesla electric vehicle angle. It's a it's a good go-to. And it's very specific, right? Very specific. Okay, that's interesting. I would I would flip the cassette over to keep listening to her, I think. But we've come to the end. Eric, do you have a closing thought that you want to talk about with these rising stars? Yeah. You know, just because they've gotten assets in the past and we're trying to identify swells before they become waves, it, it doesn't necessarily, the performance is always a question mark. And we have to make that clear. Uh, and so I think typically the performance will get an investor's attention. But the question is, do you really like the story? And because that you're going to have to like the story because the performance is going to come and go. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where a bots gets a lot of help and lithium is because people see the performance, but they're like, actually, no wonder it's outperforming. I've heard a lot about electric cars. I've heard about a lot of robots. They buy into the story. And that's key because mm-hmm. you're going to have to hang in there because these kind of some of these themes are, are difficult to do. But ultimately, I think for investors out there, a lot of people now are changing their portfolios as they kick out active mutual funds. They're going real cheap core with uh, real like, you know, boring, plain vanilla type ETFs or index funds in the core keeping costs almost to nil. Mm-hmm. Then they're on the outside, they're playing with some hot sauce. And these are kind of, I think, some of the ones that you decorate the portfolio with in small portions. The new hot sauce. The new hot sauce. I'm not, I don't like hot sauce. Well, but you, yet you drop it all the time. I do because that that's I, I can only equate this to, or, or you know, putting garlic on a dish. It's like something to use in minor proportions to accent the dish. Yeah. Truffle. Let's, Truffle. It's <laughs> a good one. All right, Carolina, thank you so much for joining us. Eric Balchunas, thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal 
Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, and a bunch of other places I haven't heard about yet. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can find Carolina Wilson at Caro E. Wilson. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.